Um, should we start? Should we start with what your? Or maybe you want to introduce yourself, actually. Okay. Um, I'm Tyron Robinson. I am a Perth-based contemporary dance artist. Or I'm finding myself being more of a performance artist, given different opportunities. Um, yeah, I'm. I think in my sixth. Sixth year of being out of graduation, which is always a bit weird. I feel like I was always the youngest in everything that I've done, so it's interesting to now be the elder generation. <laughs> um, yeah, that's me. I'm trying to um, get into more of the choreographic side of my career. Radical. Uh, let's, so what I ask everyone is what are you busy with? Which is like, I got that from when I was at DanceWeb and I would meet people and that was the way that they asked the question. Or when they had Q&A, they're like, in this piece I am busy with, uh, you know, and then they'd say something or nothing. Or <laughs> it's quite common for people just to say nothing. Fair enough. Um, what am I busy with? Um, so, last year, I would say it's the start of my beginning to make it in the industry. Um, I got the opportunity to choreograph um, for the city of Perth. I got, asked to, I got commissioned to make a 30-minute work for the opening of King's Square, which is part of the new business district of Perth, um, which is pretty awesome with City of Perth budget rather than having to do independent funding budgets. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just a nice opportunity to work with some local dancers who are very close friends and um, artists that I tend to work a lot with and just giving the opportunity to create work without having to necessarily think about it intellectually or to sit down and go this is the idea that I want to do. And they gave me a a very short time to find all the music that I wanted and so they could get APRA and it just ended up me using I think a 30 minute a mixtape of um, ARCA music um, and choreographing to that which is quite interesting because I'm I come from a commercial background so it was nice to just make movement for movement's sake um, but how do you like you there'd definitely be movement that's awesome and movement that's not awesome so when you're making movement for movement's sake, what, how, how do you listen to what is, what should be there and what should not be there? Um, I suppose coming from a commercial background, you kind of listen to a song and mm. go, that's, that's pretty sick. I like that sound. That sound makes me want to do this. And so I suppose I just create movement that feels good and I feel like it fits with the, the track. But then it's also nice being in a choreographic position and having bodies to work with, to sit back and to get up and teach them the movement or get them to improvise and filter things from that. Um, but even to just to sit back, see the movement that you put on these bodies and go, it felt right, it's, it felt like it sounded right, but then to look at it and um, be able to... <laughs> 
be able to um, edit that um, post having just listened to the track and created movement and have that um, those choreographic skills to pull apart movement and go actually this this works this fits contextually with the rest of the movement of the piece are those skills the same um, to a certain degree um, I still have a a bit of um, a toe in the the commercial scene which toe um, the big the big, the big toe my big <laughs> bunion toe um, and it's very interesting to see a it's kind of like a new wave of contemporary um, contextual thinking that's coming to commercial dance so I feel like a lot of commercial choreographers now are starting to think about things in a very different way um, I was only just talking with a friend the other day and we were watching this video this viral video that went around of these women dancing to a track and it was very like all the movement was very spacious and it was like very considered choices of what you're doing on this and how on this lyric or beat and how long it goes for and um, my friend just turned to me and was like yeah but that's what contemporary dance has been doing for ages and it's true but it's also very new for the commercial scene I feel like they feel like they're being very innovative which is good I think for the commercial scene to be finding new ways of creating art and creating movement that is uh, strong and independent enough to stand by itself without necessarily having to hit every beat of a track just because it's there. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a choreographic sensitivity that has somehow uh, transposed form or medium or aesthetic. Like it's still about being choreographically sensitive but it's no longer about needing to have the aesthetic of either contemporary or commercial yeah I feel like there are more people in the commercial world who are thanks to the internet thanks mm. to viral videos and um, a bit more of a wide interconnected community of dance now are becoming aware of things that maybe we get taught in dance history at an, in a tertiary um, environment that just happened to be on YouTube and somebody stumbles across and goes this is absolutely incredible mm -hmm. um, and they just learn about it in a different context but that information is starting to spread through all genres of of dance and I feel like it's becoming less and less um, segregated in genres of going this is commercial dance and I find that really interesting because I'm I'm like coming from a commercial background I'm very interested in putting on a song and choreographing to the song yep. um, yeah in whatever context it's gonna end up in yeah 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 I found that talking to Storm or when I made a, a show for Darwin Festival with the boys that I grew up breakdancing with like 
we were making a show for a festival context that, and half of us have been trained in contemporary choreographic consideration, but at the same time, like, something compels you, and usually that's the music. Yeah. Or, or the music is allowing you to be together in a way that compels you, and so you're forming that. Mm. Um, yeah, so there was that. That's cool. And then, what else did I do? And what about uh, dancing for other people in their shows? Do you feel like how you're saying that you're always the youngest and you're less young? I guess that kind of implies the possibility of wisdom being accrued over time. I wonder if you've got any um, wisdom about being a dancer in other people's pieces. Um, yeah, I think when I, when I first graduated, I was given an opportunity to be in a work by Claudio Alessi. Mm. Um, and pretty much started the December of the year that I graduated and started developing this work. Um, that ended up being a full-length work and get, getting performed in um, the underground at the State Theatre and me working with quite established artists and being the youngest in the cast. And I think even in that context, I found out very often that I had no interest in really being in other people's work or being in works where I didn't necessarily have any say in what was being put on stage. Um, that work, there was, uh, I think, a nice balance of both, of being told what the choreography is, but then also given the opportunity to have your input. Um, but I think I, from what I learnt, from dancing in other people's pieces is um, more about my own artistry and being able to, at a very early point in my career, go, I think I'm more interested in choreography um, simply because it's hard for me to be in a work and look at the choreographic choices that they're making and not go, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> yeah, it's the catch, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, the catch is, oh, I think maybe I could do, I would do this differently. Mm. And so I actually, I have to go and do this differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also one of those people who has like a book full of different ideas of works <laughs> that I'm interested in. Where do they come from? Your book? Um, I think just random thoughts that I have. Or I'm very uh, inspired by other people's art, mm. which I think has been a big, in, like a big, a big drive for me to. As much as I want to work in choreography more than performance, I have an interest in working with other choreographers and being a dancer in their work in order to inspire new ideas for myself. And being in a in a work and going, I probably wouldn't make that choice because actually in this work I'm more interested in this part of the concept mm. and so I watch movies and I um, I see paintings and ideas tend to come from there and it's almost um, a parasitic nature feeding us somebody else's creative idea to uh, spark my own well that's uh, otherwise known as inspiration yeah. <laughs>
And I'm sure your dancers probably will end up doing the same thing. The people that are dancing for you in your projects. I remember um, many years ago I went and did an audition for Ultima Vez off the back of another tour I was doing in Europe. And um, nothing came of it. Like I got through a few rounds, but there was like two jobs out of the 500 that showed up to audition. And about two years later, Ultima Vez got their own studios and they had a few weeks before they had to start rehearsing and remounting. And so Vim put a call out to some people he was interested in that didn't fit into his ensemble to say, I've got this free space and I'll give you my favorite teachers and um, company members to spend time with and learn from if you want to come. Um, And I really, I discovered then that while I thought I'd been interested in that company's work and the director's work, what I was, what I got more inspired by was the the dancers who had worked under him and now had their own thing that they had to go and satisfy, and they were just at the beginning of that journey, but they hadn't found it yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's um, really interesting. Uh, I look at um, Sharon Al, mm-hmm. who. Uh, was a, a member of the Batshaver Ensemble for for many years, and then st- you know started her own company and started doing her own choreography a lot more. And I find that I'm less interested in the Batshaver choreography compared to hers, and where her um, choreographic tangent has gone. Mm. And you can see her, you can see her. Trajectory. Um, trajectory, and you can see where she's come from in the Batshaver world, and how she's kind of taken those that way of moving that would have been so ingrained, having trained in Galgar and done repertoire and stuff like that. But then establishing her own interpretation of the movement, her own, and then filtering it into her own concepts, and I find that really interesting. It's almost like the the mutation for me is more interesting mm. than the original. Mm. Yeah, and that it's all about time because at one point the original would have also been just a mutation of something else or a rejection of something else. Mm. Mm. And so your mutation will one day be somebody else's original. And they were like, oh, Tyrone stuff is so like, <laughs> standard. <laughs> um, hopefully. I suppose, <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose that was the goal. I, I think yeah. when I when I established an interest in choreography, I suppose I set a life goal of being one of those people who gets mentioned in a dance history class as making a difference in choreography. Mm. Do you know what that difference is that you of what you want to be different? Um, no. I feel like at the beginning I was like, I just want to be like City Larby. I just want to be like Alexander Ekman. I just want to be famous enough to be known. <laughs> and as far as, as I've yeah. kind of developed as a choreographer, I, you know, and having spoken to people like City Larby and going, that's really not what it's about. It's just doing what you want to do and hope that it makes a difference and being less uh, less worried about how your work will be perceived in the future and worrying about how you perceive your own work now and if it's something that you're interested in doing then that's what you should be doing 
and if it makes a difference, it makes a difference. But I suppose you won't really go anywhere if you're considering the the outcome because you'll probably make a lot of shit in your career that won't be mentioned in a dance history. Well, you hope, class. Hey. And I suppose if you spend too much time thinking about I've got to make this, you know, all-inspiring work, then I'll probably never get anything off the ground because yeah. I'll be 10 years in development of a single work. Mm. Mm. What do you... Um, what's your, what was your proposal for your pitch... For your, sorry, for your seed residency? Um, that was a very interesting um, time of writing applications. I think I was, I was in the midst of doing prox the proximity lab. Mm -hmm. um, so I had one idea that I was focusing on the two weeks that were in development for the proximity festival of this year. At the same time, I was writing an application for um, CO3, who was doing mm. a call out for WA Artists to create, have a week residency with the company. Oh, a week. I know. Jesus. Um, it's like people go home for Christmas for a week. And yeah. Yeah, right. So I was writing that application. So at the same time, having these two other ideas in my mind, when I sat down and wrote the application for Vital, which is the title of the work that I'll be looking at for the seed mm. residency, that came from. Um, maybe two sentences in the book of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it had a title the and book it had. Of <laughs> <laughs> it had a title and a small synopsis. Uh -huh. um, that I was like, okay, there's an idea. Let's let's write about it. Or in the seed application context, let's sit in front of a camera and try and talk about it, which was horrible. Mm. It was so horrible. I ended up having to write the application mm. and then try and record the application whilst reading it and trying to make it sound as natural as possible, which having no acting experience yeah, right. never sounds natural when you're reading a script. No. Um, so it was a very long, tedious process, but um, fruitful considering that I was successful in the application. Um, so the, content, uh, the, the concept for Vital is... Um, human evolution and where we've come from from in the theory of evolution single cell organisms evolving into vertebrates and mm. you know becoming coming onto land and turning into monkeys and then turning into people and what that trajectory has done to our physical form and our way of movement and if we look back to our scientific ancestors how they're different um Life, how different their lifestyle is to ours now and I suppose there was uh, an interest in that um, physicality of um, primal and modern mm -hmm. and then also looking at it in the context of maybe a, a timeline of the past to the present and the future and looking at how our modern way of life and our constantly evolving surroundings based on mental evolution rather than physical evolution what that will play what role that will play on our physical bodies hypothetically in the future because i suppose we we evolve we we've formed like we've reached a peak of physical evolution where our bodies aren't changing as much as they were yeah because we changed the world ago. 
but now around us so our bodies yeah. have no need to change and so we evolved mentally more than physically mm-hmm. so it's interesting to think that maybe we'll get to a point where our, what we create based on our mental evolution will surpass us and if we'll have to return back to a physical state of evolution to keep up with our um, technological advancements they all they like there's theories that our thumbs are changing based on the fact that we're using yeah right devices. them in a bit yeah using hmm. electronic devices and to think that in a really extreme way how will our bodies change and how will it change our our gait and our general life way of moving based on our surroundings that we've created mm. but maybe out of our control so what do you do when you get into the studio with your dancers or does it start before the studio um i always have a um a very clear image of the set oh yeah and the final the final um the final image of a work without all the choreography so essentially it's Uh almost this visual artwork or installation piece that I that I can envisage in my head Um, so working from that it's essentially getting into the studio with dancers and going here's this visual concept that I have let's improvise and respond to that Mm -hmm. and see what comes of that physically I suppose if I had this idea of what the surroundings are going to be like I always find it interesting to go this is where you'll be dancing for my dancers and seeing how they respond to that going Uh, if you're having to dance on a giving them a world to inhabit Um, and then the all dreaded tasks or having to come up with tasks because I really enjoy being in a process where I get to task but realize how hard it is to create a task that um, will get you movement that you want. Yeah. Yeah, how do you go with that being quite particular with the movement that you want? Because some people are not particular, they just want shit that that they can't do, that looks cool. Um, But I feel like I'm very particular when I make work, so actually I've got to spend so much time almost just actually jamming with the dancers so that there's like a shared movement language Mm. before I want them to respond to tasks because I want them to respond speaking in the language that I want the show to be in. Yeah. Um, I would consider myself the choreographer that I would least like to work with. Um, in the in the context uh-huh. of um, I find myself having to teach people how to move like me yeah and being very specific about the way that I I see movement in my head and how I see movement on myself mm. and how I create movement on myself and go that's kind of how I want it to look and then put it on another body and it doesn't look like anything like how I made it because they're not me no so I spend a lot of time trying to make them me and then find the beauty of how how they'll never be that. (laughs) Um, I just finished a development, um, uh, self-funded development for a work called Daddy, 
which is about um, the con- hypothetical concept of male pregnancy. Mm. Um, and I worked with a, a young artist named um, Scott Elstman, who is a one of the loveliest dancers you'll ever work with. So keen, so willing to do whatever. Um, and I kind of looked at him with like, yep, long arms, long legs, we, this should be fine. And then getting into the studio and just go having like no similarities in movement. Mm. But then also working with somebody who's so keen to learn a different style, mm. try his absolute hardest to do movement that I want. But then also, you know, for me to sit back and go, actually that works, that he can't do that because his body is not quite the same or his interest in movement is not the same and where that goes. And then working as a choreographer in that sense and going, this is a movement that I wanted it to be. It will never be that. How do I work with what I've got now to create the image that I that I wanted, that I envisioned in the first place? Um, but, so... I imagine you haven't found anybody that moves like you already. Um, which begs the question, like, how, wh- why do you move like you? Um, how did that happen? And whose fault or respo- who's responsible for that? YouTube. <laughs> I think I often look at other people and go, that's fucking cool. Yeah. I wish I could move like you. Yeah. And so then I try and I try to do that. Yeah, I think. Do you think that's how a lot of people start their interest in dance? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of kids when they when they start at a young age, it's because they're copying what's on music videos and what they see, and trying to replicate that. Mm. Um, I often look at young prodigy children who are like really fucking good at dance, mm. and there seems to be like a. You see that now with viral videos and stuff yeah. like that, and the kids who are just absolutely incredible. And I go, somebody's just taught you to move that way, and so you're moving simply by copying what they've told you to do. Mm. But you've nailed that at such a young age. Where will you go now once you find what you're interested in? Mm. And I think that's where I'm at now in my career of going, I'm watching this stuff and trying to nail it as close to them as possible but also having an interest in looking at myself in the mirror and going actually that looks kind of cool me trying to replicate that movement and not achieving it but creating something else Mm. in the process Um, and I I draw a lot so I think my interest in movement also comes from a visual going back to like a a visual context of Uh, how I see what I draw I often draw bodies that are are quite emaciated and disproportionate and impossible so I'm I'm very attracted to the idea of creating really fucked up images with the body and Mm -hmm. but um, I imagine that it's not fucked up a hundred percent. It's like it's an amount fucked up, but it's also an amount attractive, or an amount vulnerable, or an amount compelling. Mm. Yeah, the ones that I don't crumple up and throw away. <laughs> um, the ones I come back to the next day and go, yeah, that's not too bad. <laughs> Where does that come from? Does that come from um, 
like at manga or I don't know I often I often I'm fascinated with the idea of horror and thriller movies but I hate horror and thriller movies mm. like I can't sit down and watch it but I like the concept behind it I like I like the idea of monsters I like the idea of really twisted um, twisted theories but seeing it happen I just can't I can't force myself to watch it so I feel like I'm really interested in really perverse images that are I find that very interesting mm. is it like the the physical forms of those bodies are interesting more so than the like psychological moment of fear or mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I think in I like I really like watching Monsters Inc. <laughs> no, no, I really can't stand Disney. <laughs> um, yeah, but watching like so, I like. I'm really interested in the characters in Silent Hill, mm-hmm. and they're all like they're all um, monsters based on, um, from what I remember, psychological issues that the main character is having, and they're all manifestations of what's happening mm-hmm. in her mind. Mm-hmm. And so they're all quite recognisable as human, but they're mangled and um, distorted in a way. And so I, I enjoyed more so watching the scenes of how these very clearly human bodies uh, embody a physicality of something that's not meant to be human with a humanoid body. Mm. Um, yeah, the humanoid is interesting. Well, I've always found it very interesting in sci-fi. That there seems to be that the aliens are humanoid with different faces, like on Star Trek, or they're um, like crazy insect monsters or something, like in Independence Day. But the one that was, I thought, was on the middle of that was uh, District 9. Oh, yeah. Somehow they they were not, they were a little bit humanoid, but they were more like, they were more humanized somehow. Yeah. Throughout the film. I suppose the interactions that these very yeah. clearly alien bodies are having with humans. Yeah, so you have to be humanized so that you can interact. Or the idea that there's another civilized world out there. Yeah. And civilized in the same way that humans are civilized. Mm. But I suppose, like, whenever I'm playing an online game or something like that, I'll always play the creepy one. <laughs> I'll always play the undead race or. What kind of online games? Uh, like their I like Guild Wars. shooters or something? No, I'm they're... terrible at those. Yeah, I'm me too. terrible at those. I think many tried to teach me how to play it on PlayStation and ended up yeah. just making smiley faces in the wall with a gun <laughs> <laughs> whilst so, being attacked from behind. <laughs> Are they um, tower defense? What kind? Ah, uh, they're more um, city building, RPG, oh, fantasy games. Yeah, right. I'm more interested. In, yeah, more interested in the fantasy than the reality. <laughs> um, in life. Yeah. And I'll always choose the character that has minions, oh. so somebody else can do that. 
can get hit while I'm in the back throwing shit. So that basically is the choreographer. You're yeah. Yeah. You have dancer minions. Yeah, I just throw shit at them. Awesome. Um, do you think with the male pregnancy concept that that's actually just gonna before we get to the need for male pregnancy, we'll just get to like the outsourcing of pregnancy altogether? Um, to like complete artificial. Well, we're already doing that, really. Like so, like the the this insemination is being taken. Oh, yeah, that's like true. they're doing the test tube babies. Essentially, it has to be put into a female at some point in order for the baby to gestate. Yeah. But they, we're already starting it. Yeah. The idea that you'd be able to create an artificial womb in order yeah. to support life is not that far fetched. No, it's being worked on, but I wonder what it's going to do for like for gender and for the way that society forms gender roles when nobody has the labor of reproduction mm. rather than just like rather than everybody nobody maybe it's the same impact but maybe it's not the same impact. yeah i think it'll be i think it'll be interesting in the fact that it, it may become a choice but i think like from so for this project scott and i kind of entered the studio, sat down and went, oh shit, we're both men. We have no <laughs> idea what it is to be a woman, what it is to be pregnant. Yeah. So we ended up inviting um, just women in general, people mm -hmm. who are mothers, people who are pregnant, people who have never thought about pregnancy before in their life, um, and talk to them just what it is to be a woman, which was very eye-opening. Um, their bodies are trying to kill them constantly, <laughs> which is um, fascinating and frightening all at the same time. But there is a, a lovely connection that a mother has to the child, and I don't think a lot of women would very easily give that up, especially when it's so much, in, in theory, so much easier to just be pregnant rather than to have to go through the scientific... Uh, also financial struggles uh, of trying yes. to reproduce without yes, yes, yes. natural means um, which are a lot of families are already facing yes um, but I suppose when I was when I thought about the idea I was more interested in being pregnant myself I think is uh, of being a gay man and not necessarily wanting to be with a woman to have a child but yeah. also see see what it is like for a woman to have to bear children to mm. carry a life for nine months and then to give birth to it and that connection you would have to a child is very appealing to me not necessarily the idea of splitting from your VTRA <laughs> shitting yourself on yeah. while giving birth but yeah. the idea of you know something being so reliant on you for life from the moment of insemination to you know, its entire life, essentially. Um, I find that very appealing and a, a concept that's almost impossible for me to ever understand as a man. Mm. And so I'm interested in the impossible of what it would be like for a man to to carry, a, to bear a child. And then what would that do to the society and how much would come into question of... Uh, gender and masculinity and but then he also physically how how 
external that whole process would have to be because of how unnatural it is and then trying to make a a natural connection to a child that has no natural um, has had no natural process of coming into into the world I find it very interesting and then it was really interesting to talk to women who have had babies and what their what it has been like for the father because mm. um, that was another big question of what it is if the, the gender roles are even changed within a straight heterosexual couple if suddenly they're like okay now you can get pregnant I'm not going to have the baby you as the father can have the baby and what that does and so it was really interesting to hear about a father's connection to their child and they're all very different which was kind of a kind of threw a spanner in the works and thinking it's so black and white um, and it all kind of just comes down to the person the person themselves So it was kind of a hard concept to go, this is what it would be like for a man to have a baby because I think it would also, as much as it would come down to uh, to the physical aspects, it would also come down to an emotional and what your your own individual personality would be like. Because I talked, we spoke to women as well who have absolutely no interest in ever being a mother or being pregnant. Which was a, it was also a good place to be in working with a concept that was so impossible and then trying to make Scott me, which was also impossible, <laughs> kind of worked really well in that, con in that context. Mm. Um, but I have worked with processes where I, I like working with the dancers because they aren't me. Mm. And that's when it becomes a lot more um, improvised based and the, chore the choreographic role becomes less about creating movement and more about um, structuring movement. Mm, yeah, how how do you make those decisions when when you're presented with movement? How do you decide what is what is working and what's not working, and what you need to? How do you know what you need to do to something to make it work? I often don't. <laughs> it's still it's still a big uh -huh. thing that I am um, I am trying to develop as a skill. Mm. I feel like the biggest, the biggest mantra I have is keep it simple. I often create these really elaborate things and I get very bored of it very quickly and strip it back and it becomes something that was very simple and it just didn't need half the movement I, like we created in the first place. Um, so I feel like that has been the biggest skill I've kind of developed as a choreographer in knowing structurally what I need to do is just what is sitting down and asking yourself the questions and it was good like I worked a lot with um, Sue Peacock as my mentor and she's a great mentor in the sense that she just asks questions she doesn't necessarily put her input on it at all it's like what are you trying to do why did you put that there or what and suddenly you know you have to step back and ask yourself these questions and pull apart the concept and go what is relevant what is necessary what is needed for me to create this image and do I need all those leaps and high brushes and yeah. it's like that? Sometimes you do, and you, you can't in words know why, but you know yeah. that that needs to happen so that this other thing can then happen. Yeah. But yes, definitely still a skill that I'm developing. 
and I, you know, I speak to um, people who are many, many years in the industry and they're still developing their skills, so I don't feel any pressure to, um, no rush, huh? yeah, to establish that. But um, I, th I suppose it all goes back to this final image, and if it doesn't really fit with the final image yeah, that yeah, I see yeah. in my head, then I, I often get a sense that it's not where I want it to go. Yeah, it's another piece, maybe. Mm. Whilst also still trying to be open mm. to the idea that that image is not right, is not the image that it should be if this is the concept. Yeah. Because I feel like it's one thing to have a concept and a, approach it in a visual a visual art sense and it is to approach it in a movement sense so it's it's all good and well to have this final visual image of a work in my head but then I can't be stubborn and I can't let that be the only thing that drives the movement if the movement itself stands stands alone and says exactly what I want it to say with the concept but doesn't necessarily fit with the image then I have to I suppose I have to ask myself what's more important in a yeah in a movement in a dance work yeah and because sometimes the um, it's like where does the where does the work actually happen of, of being an artist is it in coming up with the idea and then you just produce that idea or is it in does the work begin once you've come up with an idea and then once you're with the dancers and with the choreography and with the movement and in your own body is that when the work happens and how it's I guess it's just rough to know when are you getting sidetracked and when are you allowing something to develop and evolve mm. And at what point are you making the thing? And at what point are you facilitating the thing to become what it's what it needs to be? Yeah, I, and I, I find it's very hard for me to let those reins go <laughs> and to let the work facilitate it. Like yeah. for me to facilitate a work that is developing itself. And I find that if I don't necessarily have control over something, I don't know if it's working or if it's if it's going anywhere. Mm. Um, which is also the importance of me working with people who are very close to me, who are often people whose um, opinions on things or constructive feedback whilst being in the process themselves mm. um, is very integral for me to be able to step back from a work and go, actually, let's just let that sit for a while. And it often comes from it often comes from working with people who, again, ask questions. Why are we doing this? What is this for? Like, what what mm. what what are we meant to be trying to establish in this section? Those are the dancers. Those are the dancers yeah. and the people that I work with and the ones that I feel are um, helping me establish uh, those choreographic skills. Um, what do you think is a good balance of that, though? For the, a good balance of the, the questioning dancer to, um, to just get on board and make it work so the choreographer can try and see something. I think the good balance is when it, uh, when it comes later in the process. Mm. 
when they were able to silently just let shit happen, go, I don't know what this task is for, but I'm just going to do it, just to go along with stuff, and then after it's been established for a while and the characters are sitting there with their head in their hands and they look like they don't know what they're doing, then it's a good time to ask and it's a good time, yeah. I, you know? Yeah. And I feel like those people who, who I've worked with before know that in me. You mm. can you can look at me and go, yeah, I think he doesn't really know where he's going. So maybe let's ask yeah, questions yeah, about yeah. what we don't understand in the work and maybe that sparks ideas. Yeah. Yeah, it's something about letting something live so that then it can be questioned. Yeah. Which is what you said about not waiting to make the, the perfect life-changing work. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I think I've, I think I've worked with lots of people like that. I've worked with people who doesn't, don't necessarily tell you everything about the work. Mm. Maybe because they don't know, maybe because they don't think it's relevant for you to know. Mm. And it can seem kind of frustrating at first that you're in this work and you feel like you want to know everything about it. But often it's a moment where the choreographer goes, the choreographer is not necessarily sure about that concept, so there's no point of sharing it until they've explored it. Mm. Or it's almost like what they're thinking is not what you need to be thinking so that you can do the best job that you can do for the idea. Yeah. You might need to be thinking something completely different. Yeah. So that it can come through. Mm. Yeah, like the chef doesn't necessarily need to be hungry so that they can cook you a delicious meal. <laughs> Absolutely. Hmm. Why I, is like usually what I get onto eventually, but it's often like what is your biggest hope? Um, apart from being a world famous choreographer. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, apart from setting the standard. Setting the standard of contemporary dance for the <laughs> next 10 years. Well, maybe just of dance, like if we're talking about commercial and contemporary backgrounds and interests and forms and approaches. They're, I see, maybe I'm lucky the kind of commercial that I'm exposed to, but I see leaps and bounds of evolution happening in hip-hop rather mm, than contemporary at the moment. Absolutely. And I think that's about establishment and bureaucracy. Yeah, I feel like the, the commercial world utilises uh, aesthetic media much more than the contemporary world simply because I think the contemporary world is a bit shy to the idea of sharing everything I like the idea I like I love Instagram I love Facebook I love the internet in the sense that everything is available everything about everybody's life is available who share it yeah, and I feel like that's where a lot of information suddenly gets shared and exposed to the world and where new ideas come from because people on opposite sides of the world who comes from very different lives suddenly know everything about each other mm. and I think that inspires a lot and I suppose where I'm interested in ending up is like 
I'd love to have millions and millions and millions of Instagram followers simply because of what that would open. Um, not only to fuel my ego, <laughs> but also to be able to share ideas of what I'm creating and then to meet new people. Mm. I feel like the networking, the, the ability to network on online is absolutely incredible. And the opportunities to come from that where I hear about people just somebody liking their Instagram post or seeing their Facebook and going, oh my God, you're doing this, I'm doing this, let's get together, let's collaborate. I think I, I'm really interested in the idea of being able to meet many artists and have many opportunities simply because of shared interests that you get to express or share on those um, social media mm. platforms. And I guess it becomes a... Um uh, like you are compelled to fuel each other through excitement ra and like uh, I don't know the feeling of a kindred spirit or whatever that rather than some kind of like business opportunity absolutely like, uh, it's not a merger mm. in a traditional corporate sense yeah absolutely I think I you know I just came to like the con the conclusion that I, I want to make work I just want to make work and if money wasn't an object I would make lots and lots of work mm. um, and I'm becoming more interested in working with like I have a huge interest in fashion so the idea of working with you know fashion designers and costume designers and making installation performance artwork where it's solely based on aesthetic of somebody else's artwork put on a body and those merges and there's so many there's so many like working with visual artists working with animators there's so many people that I would love the opportunity to work with simply because I've been exposed to their stuff online or I've met them through um, those platforms but just the opportunity to be able to make work and I think the more networks you have and the more people who share your interest in making work mm. or share their share an interest in working with each other, I think there's more opportunities for people to start making things rather than being stuck in your own world trying to get your own ideas off the ground. That as much as I have that book of ideas, the book of ideas <laughs> that I want to, you know, that I'm interested in making, that I'm interested in sharing with people, I think it's more important for me to find people who share those interests or I find out about their interests and I connect with their interests in order for us to collaborate and for order in order for us to tackle this uh, you know tackle a project with more than just one mind and one person trying to to get something off the ground I think you know two uh, four or more hands are better than two mm.